Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. All right, we're back. Peak Speak we're is back. back. Is this the Christmas episode? Does this make this the Christmas episode of Peak yeah. Speak? Yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. In our defense, we tried to tee this up about three times, and I let the team down about three times. So here we are. Which is very on brand for the Peak Speak entity. One of us has a gym <laughs> empire to deal with and the other one just is along for the ride. And no. comedic relief. Comedic relief. Fucking well, hell. someone's got to be the funny, enjoyable one. You're just the emotionless robot, so what else can we do? That's true. That's true. How are you, my friend? Yeah, good, man. I fucked my back deadlifting at the oh. end of year Christmas party on the weekend. Um, in a way that, like... I'm not worried about like you know I did it I like about two weeks ago I uh put a longer stem on my road bike and dropped it right down so I had like a real aggressive pedaling position which felt great pedaling and then fucked my back for like two days um just in that fully hunched position yeah like super flex position that you know my spine having spent 10 years in extension doesn't really like (laughs) um who'd have thought uh ruined by my own choices damn it once again foiled Um, foiled yeah exactly but uh so yeah i then just like through life shit hadn't deadlifted in a couple of weeks was like you know fine i'll just turn up and like pull something heavy see what happens it won't be what i thought it would be it'll be fine and uh yeah pulled like 230 got it to like mid shin just above mid shin and um yeah felt my back just go clunk and i was like oh fuck that hurt so i did the optimal recovery process which is to immediately start drinking beers and spend the next eight to ten hours filling yourself with alcohol uh as you do at a christmas party which is a recovery strategy i would probably advise against um in a professional capacity but you know you gotta take one for the team occasionally i'm not fully convinced that this didn't begin before you started deadlifting i definitely did so like two weeks ago i (laughs) aggravated it with the no, not um, your back. I oh, mean the, the beers. Beer. No, no, the beers definitely. I held off because I'm a professional. I held off until after that. Um, I was intending to have a shot of whiskey between my second last and heaviest deadlift, but I didn't make it that far because I fucked my back. Um, and I was talking some shit with one of the guys, Kieran, at the gym about how I was going to beat him that day. And he he pulled 230 after me and I was like, all I got to do is pull this and then I win. And I was like, yeah. And he got it to like knee height. And there was like a little pause and I was convinced in my head he was just going to put it down and be like, I got it higher than you. That counts. But he didn't. He finished the rap and it was fine. <laughs> and then I said it to him afterwards. I was like, man, that would have been such a funny thing. He's like, God damn it. I totally should have done that. Like that would have been <laughs> the ultimate power move. But yeah, he didn't. It's um, like the, um, the Kirk Kowalski, like I failed yeah, more yeah. than you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've, man, I had the biggest squat miss in the country for a long time. I was yeah. proud of that shit. Good. Um, but uh, yeah, it's still giving me grief at the moment. Like it's it's grumpy and super flexion intolerant, which is annoying. Uh, but it's getting better slowly, you know. 
Yeah, nice. It's one of those things that I think if you've been around lifting like this for long enough, you've probably done something to it in some context and experienced mm. this sort of thing before. I think there's just lots of people who are new to this environment who like you know a lot of the people at the gym were like really concerned i was like ah like i fucked my back up i'm not worried about what it is like something's gone there and it's going to be grumpy for a week or two and it'll be fine right like yeah you know the discussion i had was like i'm not going to go and get my spine imaged because i'm sure that'll just turn up like (laughs) 10 different things that i didn't know i had anyway yeah uh and weren't a problem until i saw them on an image um so yeah it's really just a case of babying it a little bit and it'll be fine yeah it's always like when you when you've been doing it long enough and hurt yourself enough times you know when something's properly hurt yeah yeah. you know when it's like ah it's sore it sucks but it's gonna be all right yeah yeah and and this was definitely at the time i was like well that felt really bad Mm. uh like i felt it go it's not often i feel it like really clunk like it did when it went that time and um the then I was like, oh, fuck, the next day is going to be rough because I'm also going to go and drink beers all afternoon at the Christmas party. Um, <laughs> and it was actually all right the next day. Like, the intensity of it seems to have not been as bad, but it's mm. lingering. Normally, yeah. I, like, in the past, I've had it spike really bad and be, like, really bad for 24, 48 hours and then taper off pretty quickly. Mm. Um, but at this point, it's, like, sort of stayed about the same for four or five days, which makes me think I need to be a little bit more proactive about, you know, moving and not just, like letting it happen but um yeah we're getting there can we talk about the whiskey and deadlifts thing and how grateful i am that it's not a thing anymore or at least less Uh, of a thing yeah absolutely i think it's dumb too i just like drinking alcohol sometimes yeah yeah Um, i i don't actually know like i i know chris duffin made it popular but i don't know why like what what was the whole thing with his whole theory was because alcohol's on the banned list and it's like uh his uh his justification was along the lines of that feeling of like dutch courage that you get from alcohol wait alcohol's on the wider band list yeah apparently is Um, it actually yeah like i i don't know if it's for everything but i think there's there's certainly a window where there'd be a like i think a positive performance boost from a small amount but i think the thing the problem with the whiskey and deadlifts thing right was everyone's like yeah i'm gonna drink this shot of whiskey and then i'm gonna deadlift immediately which i think is fucking stupid if you want to get the like effect out of it, you probably need to drink it, wait five, 10 minutes and then do your deadlift, right? To get the like, actually let the alcohol hit your system a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but mostly it was just going to be an excuse to start drinking whiskey <laughs> before I started drinking beer. But uh, in this case, I didn't because I didn't make it that far. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not. It's still common in some circles, but I think those circles are often uh, the Venn diagram of people who like drinking whiskey before deadlifting because they think it's a performance boost and people who are probably alcoholics is quite significant. <laughs> um, that overlap. And the overlap. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, you're just justifying the problem you already have as opposed to uh, finding a new performance avenue, yeah. you know? I, I reckon that the whole thing is just like a George Lucas-style marketing ploy. You put something cute in a Star Wars film so you can sell more toys. It's like, do the whiskey and deadlifts, then create the whiskey and deadlifts shirt, and everyone's got one of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even people who don't um, do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's a lifestyle, you know? It's the, just... Just for those wondering, alcohol, ethanol, is prohibited in competition only in the following yeah. sports. Air sports, archery, automobile, and powerboating. There you go. 
So you can be drunk and run 100 metres. There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, the firearms thing, that makes sense. Probably don't need drunkards around, sh- uh, you know. There's also, like, in, in darts, didn't darts ban alcohol at one point? I don't know. Because I feel like there was an era of darts where it was just a bunch of fat white cunts getting drunk, throwing darts really well. Beta blockers are abandoned darts and golf and shooting and skiing and snowboarding and underwater sports. That's valid. All makes sense. I went on a bit of a free diving uh, YouTube rabbit hole recently. It's um, fucking crazy, man. Dude, I so I watched... Uh, there's a video of Alexei Malinanichev or whatever his name is. Um, do you like how my brain defaulted to Malinanichev? Because that's what, <laughs> that's what a powerlifter does when it goes Russian. Um, and yeah, uh, my kid was talking about like holding his breath and I was like, ah, oh, like, watch this video. And so we Mo- watched Alexei's... Molchanov. Yeah, Molchanov, that's it. Close enough. Um, we watched his like 135 metre... Uh, world record dive yeah, and it like yeah and it's like well it, de- it depends on which discipline you look at because he's got like this mono oh, fins okay. like you, you know buy fin no fin counterweight some other shit yeah, yeah anyway it's fucking crazy dude like it is such an impressive feat of athleticism to not only be able to slow your system down enough to be able and like train your inspiration muscles and like all, everything in a way that allows you to hold your breath for six minutes, but it's also oh, it's like four and a half minutes I think it was. But it's mm. also the like you watch him as he goes down. There's the fascinating thing is like at about thirty meters you start free falling. You don't have to swim anymore. You're negatively buoyant and you just start uh, dropping, which yeah, is yeah. crazy, right? So they're swimming down and they just hit this point where they just go, yeah, and then it's this beautiful yeah. silence. But then there's a, I think it's somewhere around 50 meters. They, you watch him do this like massive crunch movement, which is about pre- repressurizing because you've got to pressurize as you go down. So it's not only are you just holding your breath and sinking, but you've got to manage your pressure and you're constantly pressurizing yourself to deal with the water pressure. It's just fucking crazy. But also watching the way that um, the sport's like built around safety, right? Like they have these, for it to be a, a true world record, uh, you have to come up and you hold on to the rope and you have to be self-supported. You have to get out of the water and give like an I'm okay signal and show that you're conscious because what they're trying to promote is people not coming back to the surface and blacking out and like fighting with that edge. So they've like, you know, done all these things that have, are built into the rules of the sport that are about making it as safe as they can while pushing the boundaries in a sport that's like inherently incredibly unsafe because you're trying really hard to dive deep into water and yeah. not come back up um yeah it's it's fucking crazy man yeah that's wild absolutely wild there are I some of that. those niche sports where i look at them and i'm like yeah that's a bit weird and like yeah i like i mean i'm i'm cool on the idea that you've got your thing but like i don't think it's actually that impressive but yeah. then the shit where it's like that's a niche board and I am fascinated by how good you are at that yeah. like incredible niche aspect of performance yeah yep 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 it, yeah I, I love the thought experiment of like how the stuff came about let's see how far you can dive down oh he's dead <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> uh, dude well let's pu- push it a bit further and work out how to not die as easily it's Man, just I, wild 
I the one of the scariest times I've done something like that was we were in Nice in France and it was like this rocky beach that just had like a massive drop off right so mm. it got real deep real fast me and a bunch of fucking 18 year old dumbasses like I'll oh, swim out and see who can dive the deepest and I remember the like the physical pressure of diving yeah. deep enough that I like my ears start hurting yeah. and just being like no yeah uh, yeah terrifying Man, even as something as simple as like jumping off a 10 meter diving board and like going when hit the water and going as low as you can it's only like a i don't know five six meters deep even that messes you up yeah dude just 133 meters no way yeah Yeah, man and it's like pitch black and yeah (laughs) yeah it's fucking terrifying dude the older i get the more terrified i am of uh of which uh, of the ocean and and the many ways it could kill you um but yeah you know what yeah. else is terrifying what's that uh, thomas previous ipf leadership in australia Holy so let's talk about that shit what a segue <laughs> thomas the Segway king lily that's right back at it once here, again here we are so <laughs> i mean i think our fans are expecting us to broach the subject the ipf mm. subject uh, I want to go, I, out of curiosity, I want to go back and listen to the Forbidden episode, uh, which is basically where I spoke about my story with the 2015 uh, IPF Pacific Games uh, and all the, 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 basically the beginnings of Wilkes hating me forever. Um, did you see me posting that he was trying to call me you know, a few yeah. months ago? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would have been about the same thing. So like he, he always hated that I coached the Pacific Games uh 2015 he got me kicked off that and then i managed to help out in 2019 didn't get to go but at least managed to help out and then this year again we did all the programming for the team i didn't end up going uh wasn't wasn't going to work out for me to go and uh to be honest i I don't think it would have been wise if i was there anyway just with uh yeah just with how the, the world's turning with ipf uh, but we we got like nine medals out of the team, which was fantastic. That's like, crazy. Absolutely killed it. Um, and it's something that I don't publicize. Like I don't publicize how much free stuff we give away to people in the islands and, and how much free help and stuff we've donated to the islands over the years. Uh, but every now and again, I'll, I'll mention it because I have a huge heart for powerlifting in the Pacific Islands. And uh, they love it and they kill it. So it's great. Yeah, dude, absolutely. And that's it's one of those things that I've never really understood is why so much of this seems to have centered around like not letting people be involved and Mm. that's that's the thing that's never made any sense to me but here we are repeating the same process again who'd have thought that powerlifting comes full circle once again well that side of powerlifting in australia comes full circle yeah yeah i I mean it's crazy i i spoke about it on the on the zero podcast a few weeks ago but we'll, we'll touch on it here as well uh so for those of you not in the know especially if you're out of the country um, a few years ago, in 2018, uh, was when Wilkes got kicked out of the IPF, went and branched off and started world powerlifting, and they kind of still straggle along. There's still PA meets, and there's still world powerlifting meets. They just suck. It fucking fascinates me that that still happens, especially, like, because there was that obviously that, and then there was all the alleged discussions that happened after, like, several years after that that came out that it turns out, maybe the person that we all thought wasn't a good person isn't a good person oh, um Who yeah i know guessed? it's one of the best descriptions i've seen is uh, from one of the guys in the gym it's like it's always the people you like most medium suspect it's <laughs> <laughs> like yeah that's actually like yeah exactly how it turned out um 
yeah, it fascinates me that people still want to be in in and around that. And I don't, I like, I don't understand whether it's because they're incredibly naive or brainwashed, hmm. or both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the other thing to consider uh, that we often forget, just because we've been in it forever, is that most people just don't know the shit. Like, if if, if someone signs up to APL, that's a new lifter, they're not going to Google Daniel Carpenter and see if he's got a rap sheet so people coming into pa they're just they're just like oh this is a fed i found powerlifting in my local area let's give it a crack yeah that's uh, so, true i i forget i forget to account for that like we're just salty old cunts who've been around forever and we, we know all this shit yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean like we do our best to educate people so they don't make mistakes but there's going to be a subset of people that just find it and then just do it and then it's up to them to get educated but because of that i mean it's I wouldn't say it's dead, but it's never going to be revived. Like, it's not no, going to exactly. go anywhere. It yeah. kind of makes... The thing I wonder with, with like, Wilkes continuing, for example, is why? Like, what what does he actually get out of it now? Because because it's so small and, you know, never going to be big again. It's not like it's money anymore. Yeah. Uh, he's an incredibly money-driven person. And it's not like it's financial anymore. So I, I wonder what's there. Maybe it is financial. Maybe it's a tax write-off. Maybe it's... Uh, uh, some sort of like finding grants and funding and, and getting some free money. Uh, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's weird, man. I like, I, I think that the fact that you'd want to stay around and still be involved in a sport that like quite clearly hates you, <laughs> like I, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe we're just better people than others, Thomas. Who knows? Maybe we are. Who knows? Who knows? Exactly. Anyway, so Wilkes got kicked out. Uh, a new group stepped up and and formed an IPF. And I told the story on Zero, but I'll say it again. Like there was in that transfer period, like in that crossover period where we found out that Wilkes was getting kicked out of the IPF. Um, I actually found the email that I wrote the other day independently. I was a little snaky boy and I was going to try and get IPF in my grubby little mitts. Uh, yes, so, we've we've never heard of Thomas going behind someone's back to uh, secure the rights or something like that. Who'd have thought? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I'm going behind anyone's back. It's just, yeah. No, it was an open email. You sent no, it to no, someone. I, <laughs> I honestly, I, I honestly, you know, wanted to because the, I, I have a heart for IPF and I have a heart for IPF yeah. lifters. You can't not if you're involved. In no, no, absolutely. Like a, a lot of our yeah. biggest influences uh, is IPF stuff. A lot of us grew up wanting to do ipf worlds we saw it as the pinnacle and all of that yeah dude stuff. absolutely that's why it continues people still see it as the pinnacle and in many ways it kind of is uh and uh so what i found out was there was a small group banding together and i became part of that group and uh there were five of us involved and we were going to um, start this new ipf federation so essentially the lifters wouldn't be um uh, wouldn't be pushed to the side because at the end of the day that's that's all this shit does you know old yeah. greedy men fuck up make a mistake get booted out or asked to leave whatever it is and then all the lifters just get fucked over in the process fucking sucks yeah uh, exactly uh, and so as a coach and a lifter and someone who actually understands and empathizes with the lifter i wanted to change that uh, so we became part of this group and um two of us raised concerns that well not concerns but we we're like look we're happy to do this. We want to move forward. But based on the language that people were using, we have to be sure this isn't done for greed, for money, or for spite out of the old leadership. Yeah. And we got fucking roasted for it. 
for even suggesting that was the slightest thing possible. Uh, and as soon as that happened, it's just like, okay, these people aren't on board. They don't have the heart yeah. of the lifter in mind. I don't want to. I don't want to bar of this because it would be impossible to work with people with a completely different value system. Yeah, uh, and get anywhere productive. So walked away. Didn't didn't want anything to do with it. Um, yeah, man. I mean, that's why I joined GPC when GPC started, right? Like that was at the time that was the federation that in my eyes was doing the best for the sport for sure not for the person at the top or the leadership or whatever but they were the ones and not just like the federation as a as an entity but the people involved and the group of people that you know it was like you and scott and the ruchis and marcus and trent and all of that were as a collective building the sport in ways that were outside the federation it wasn't just about the entity of this powerlifting body but was in fact about the sport and the lifter experience and all of those things and for a long time in gpc there was an agm people were raising concerns raising points valid points if they were open for discussion the discussion was real and change happened as a result and Absolutely. so there, there was this arc of development and growth in that federation for a long time uh, eventually it kind of turned around uh, yep. which is unfortunate and m my belief as to why this happens in federations is because a lot of the time people running the federations it's not their primary focus it's not mm. their actual job you know they have yep. other jobs other businesses uh, and they can't dedicate the kind of time because a federation is a business and it's a yeah. business with potentially thousands of customers yeah and yeah. there's a lot of work that goes into that shit man a lot yeah. of work, a lot of organization, and especially in powerlifting, which is so often just copy and paste of the most yes. recent model, uh, there has to be innovation and change if uh, consistent growth is going to occur or if you're going to be any different to everyone else on the market. Yeah. There, and there to be to honest, be. like that hasn't happened in powerlifting in my eyes in Australia since GPC started mm. until the way APL is now putting it all forward, right? Like they're now in a position where as an entity and as a group of not just the, the federation itself, but the people in and around it are once again, the people who are give a shit about building the sport and making it accessible and making change that is positive not just like you say copy pasting the last person's thing changing the acronyms ever so slightly starting a new instagram account and going from there and turning off the comments um and <laughs> it's a classic move it's an absolute classic yeah i mean if, if there's if there's anything that screams fear it's that <laughs> yeah. uh so yeah, eventually it was taken over and Sean became the president. Obviously, we all know that. I still had a huge heart for the lifters. And at that time, I was heavily involved in Papua New Guinean powerlifting. I was going over there. I was helping them out. I was running free workshops. I was doing programming for like 30 or 40 of their lifters. Um, you might remember we organized a huge equipment drive to get over yeah, there. I, I do vividly remember that. Like we, we did a lot trying to, trying to help these people out because I was very close with the person who was sort of uh, running it all. And uh, it became a race because the IPF was thinking or considering, it was either IPF or the ASC, I'm, I'm having a mind blank for a sec, uh, but basically we needed to run an Oceanas with more than the world powerlifting, uh, a bigger than the world powerlifting one that was trying to happen at the same time to get either IPF or ASC or both on board. I think, uh, yeah, I can't remember. So there was a race and we had to do this drive where uh, myself and the person who was the president of Papua New Guinea and then became the president of Oceania Powerlifting, 
we're sort of on a campaign to get the other island nations on board to come with us instead of Wilkes. And we thought we're going to have to really think about this and really craft a plan. Everyone was just like, no, no, we're done. We're coming to you guys. Like yeah, yeah. they were happy to get away uh, because there was also always these false promises, this, this underlying sort of neo-colonialistic attitude, which is I have all the answers. You people don't know anything. You people are yeah. stupid, which goes completely against like community intervention and growth. Uh, you want to do community-led intervention, which is like, you don't want to run everything. You want to teach the community how to be self-sustaining if you're going to grow something. When you're working yeah. with populations uh, like that and populations who have a knowledge deficit in something like running a powerlifting comp because yeah. they've always relied on other people doing it for them. People aren't stupid. This stuff is no. easy to work out. And so that's but what we did really successfully. This is also a, a great insight into like, you know, I know I, I know your background to know that you've worked with like community health and done things like that in a way that is outside the context of powerlifting, right? Mm. And this is a thing that I've like, I've watched Angus Bradley talk about a lot recently uh, that I really like. It's like looking outside the fucking incredibly insular circle jerk that is the fitness industry for ideas and concepts and, and models and things like that. And it extends to this as well, right? Like powerlifting, like you say, has been copy paste in Australia forever no one's really innovated in any way, shape or form, partly because of this like de desire to uphold tradition, which I think is just fucking bullshit in most cases. Um, but it is, again, we're like, it's a sport that is run like a hobby, right? In that there are sports that, you know, lots of powerlifters would be like, that's not a real sport, that are run way more professionally mm. than powerlifting ever has been. Like, man, go look at fucking medieval sport. I was talking to Neil, the photographer. At, yeah, um, boo hurt, man. That's fucking sick. Yeah, dude, that shit, like, A, those people are crazy. And B, like, that shit's better organized than lots of powerlifting federations, right? Like, th there are lots of really elitist powerlifters, I think, who are snubbing their nose at these, like, s other sports that are actually, as a, f as a sport, as a body, as a, as a group of things, way better organized and doing a much better job. And so if you're not able to, like zoom out from the powerlifting context and see how this works on a broader population scale in different areas and that sort of thing, then you just end up fucking repeating the same problems. Yeah, man. And you know what people do? They create saltiness for themselves and that becomes a mental block to progress. So like I think of all the meat directors that are like, oh, I've already told people this. I've already told people about how to, you know, what equipment they need for the comp. Oh, this person showed up with a soft suit. What the fuck were they thinking? It's like where where along the way have we given these new lifters guidance as to what to do? It's what I've always loved about you and your novice meets and your sanctioned meets. Like you do video series of everything to expect. Yeah. So someone Dude, comes in and they're still, ready. I, I literally, I still had someone the other, like at our last meet, like two weeks ago, turn up and be like, oh, I've only got these baggy tracksuit pants. <laughs> yeah, but I mean and, like. Well, no, no. But the best part about this was I went and I, like, I was pissed off because I was a bit stressed at that point. And I don't like always deal with that sort of thing sure, six minutes before the comps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, so I got the shits and was like, I'll find something for you. I went into my office and found a soft suit, threw the soft suit at him from across the room. He magically found a pair of shorts. Who'd have thought that when you f are faced with the prospect of wearing a soft suit that you've never worn before in a, your first ever powerlifting competition, <laughs> no, he suddenly found a pair of shorts. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Oh, this was a novice comp? 
Yeah, yeah, this was yeah, for okay. a novice comp. So, like, I only had these, like, real baggy, like, you know, pump cover fucking tracksuit yeah, yeah. pants. And I was like, no, dude, I'm not letting you squat in those. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that like, that's always been the thing. And honestly, it stems from, like, from my point of view, partly from laziness. Like, I just got sick of answering the same questions all the time and doing all that sort of stuff. But it then that's also ensures- not laziness. Yeah, but that's like all of my efficiency is laziness. <laughs> like that's it is unequivocally motivated by laziness, okay. um, and and a desire to be as lazy as I can be. Uh, but it, it was this thing where it's like, well, I don't understand why people don't do this, right? Like, mm. it's so fucking simple. Like, I literally I'll re-record our videos for the first time in like a few years next year. Um, when I've got some time but beyond that like they're literally one of the videos was filmed in our old gym like we moved out of that fucking gym in 2016 mm. but all the information in it's still the exact same information like the rules are still the same it's still the same process it's just in an old gym and I'm way fatter um, and these things were like things that took me a few hours yeah sure but the number of hours I've saved in time in like answering the same question via messenger or email or whatever and like i'm one person running my own business and doing this stuff it was literally just about like have you watched the videos no cool watch the videos then come and talk to me if you still got questions right like all your questions are answered here this is the first port of call but i think from my point of view it's because i've done things where i'm like I arrived on the day and I still don't know what's happening. Like you've given me no information about mm. this. I find that creates lots of anxiety for me as an as a competitor, as an athlete, whatever. If I don't know what's going on, especially if I'm trying to perform, like I want to know how it's all going to work and all of those sort of things. So rather than getting the shits with someone who hasn't read the powerlifting rule book, because like let's be honest, I still find bits in a powerlifting rule book. I'm like, I didn't know that was a rule. Uh, because I'm not going to read a fucking whole powerlifting rule book no. for some weird nuance. But instead, I've got, you know, it ends up being, it's like 45 minutes in total or something like that, right? Like yeah. it's less than an hour of video footage clipped together and, and done like that. That essentially explains every question you could possibly have about a powerlifting cop, mm. right? Like, and then I just have this resource that I keep reusing that. I know for a fact improves the experience of all these lifters because I get tons of people being like, yo, that video is really useful. And like, I wanted to ask you these questions about this nuance of what it means because I've watched the video and I can engage in that. And it just makes the whole process for me way easier. But mm -hmm. for the lifter, a much more ex uh, pleasant experience because they come in feeling a bit like they know what's going on. And it's 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 an example, just one very small example of a simple innovation that won't be had if you're constantly looking for inspiration within a flawed model that exists. And this yeah. is this is essentially what happened with the new IPF that came in with APU. Uh, so anyway, where we were in the story, uh, <laughs> we had to run this this Oceanias, and so I was the meat director. And along the way, there were several people who were either Wilkes cronies or just like anti me. I've had a lot of anti-me people over the years. Uh, and I got dobbed into IPF for a like- A divisive character, if you might. Uh, yeah, I got dobbed into IPF left, right, center. And still to this day, I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's because I've been professional. I've never actually done anything uh, against any of the rules or anything like that. But the high ups in IPF know me and like me. 
just a just a likable character. That's all it is. Uh, so they were defending me, and they they were very very reluctant to try and dish out some sort of ban. So I never I never received a sanction. Um, but essentially, I got sick of the lies that were going on directly to me in terms of like, we're going to support you, we're going to protect you. And then seeing copies of emails, which were like, oh, we need to work out how we're going to deal with this and how we're going to ban them and yada, yada, yada. So I was just like, you know what? I want the comp to run because I want the Islanders to lift yeah, well. Yeah. They've already. It's not about you, shock horror. Yeah. Who'd they have. Thought? They have no money. They've scraped up funding and they're coming to Australia. That's all set in stone. I'm resigning. Thomas, IPF, we're done. But I'm going to run the comp regardless in the shadows. I'm going to provide all the equipment, support so support with people power, all of that. Uh, so I was there and I was still a member of APU in Australia and all this sort of stuff. Um, no, I'd resigned from APU at that stage when I resigned. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was still heavily involved in running this competition. Um, $10,000 was magically disappeared from the competition never to be paid back i sunk in about 12 myself and i managed to get that back but the president of ipf oceana who also bankrolled it it was just the two of us bankrolling it uh we were expecting to be paid back from the entry fees of which there were more than enough to cover those costs uh that money disappeared into apu never to be seen again uh, as was the case with lots of money then over the next three years yeah that's the thing that like again one of those big things that uh really motivated me both as an individual and as a business owner to go with gpc early on as well was mm. that the whole premise was we run the comps and we take the entry fees like it's yes. not about you just get like a nominal amount of money because I remember being approached uh, in that sort of period. Uh, someone approached me about running a, an APU comp at Burley. And I was like, cool, what's in it for me? And they were like, oh, the like meet director stipend's $400 or something. It's like, man, I like I spent $400 on food and hiring a toilet. Yeah. Like, uh, that's exactly. that's bef before I've like done anything about like maintaining my equipment maintaining my facility investing reinvesting in my facility like i spent fucking 450 dollars on a stream deck controller just so i can run more than one camera on our live stream yep. like yeah you know that that sort of shit that you don't realize if you're if you're serious about doing this you're not just hosting meets so that you can have a meet for your gym lifter which i think is a very different approach like i'm I run Meets as a professional. The, we offer Meets as a product and I think we're really fucking good at it mm -hmm. because I genuinely care about the experience of the lifter and building that out. But that's I can do that because I was supported by the entry fees. Like oh. I make that money. Like it has built our business has been the 30 something percent of our annual income that comes from these competitions both sanctioned and novice and not being in a position where you're allowed to run novice comps would have killed the sport. Like the exactly. sport in Canberra would not exist on the scale that it does without me and our gym running novice comps. And if we'd been down the powerlifting Australia arm, you couldn't do that. That mm -hmm. was like fucking sacrilegious. You'd be burned at the stake for that sort of shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. People don't get the difference in money. So like, the one of the APU states this year, I'm just pulling up a calculator real quick. 
I saw an image floating around of the amount of money the Federation had allegedly made from coaching yeah, courses. Yeah. I that pulled that up. Sort of disappeared somewhere. I pulled that. I'm about to show you as well. Um, <laughs> so the the revenue from one of the states in APU was that uh, figure's wrong. Hang on. Uh, was was roughly twenty two thousand dollars, and the meat director received about three thousand dollars. Um, you know, c- compare that to my myself running Christmas comp. Uh, Christmas Cup, sorry, uh, where I had 150 lifters, which pulled in roughly just from the entry fees, not the photo packages, not the additional like uh, things, uh, revenue that you get from competition, whether it's selling shirts at the door or drinks or et cetera, uh, and minus several costs, as you were sort of alluding to, was about 20 grand. Uh, and I'm not saying this to fucking wank off. Oh, look at me, no. I made 20 grand. I didn't make 20 grand. My gym made it and we reinvested. Like this year, at using that money from the entry fees, we bought two more combos. Like yep. the, without that, zero and wouldn't our, exist in the way that it does. Our like, December novice comps paying for our set of toaster racks. Like that's, that, you know, I'm not like, what we do. I'll just take those thousands of dollars and just go and spend them myself. It's like, this is what it costs to run the meets on the standard that people expect these days. Like, yeah, we are long past the era where you can run a professional powerlifting meet of any caliber in a shitty little gym where the warm-up room is also kind of the spectating area like you just mm-hmm. you could run a tiny little backyard meet and you get away with it sure but if you want to have any real respect as a sport you have to have a legitimate venue my whole fucking gym is built around how we run comps like the whole gym's organized like that we picked that space because of that like it was all built around this idea that allows us to run the best comps in the region because we've had the finances to do that by being able to run fucking 10 comps a year right like we run four novice comps a year and yeah make six or seven grand in entry fees every time but then spend at least that a year if not more on reinvesting in new equipment and building out better facilities and you know a better live stream like man my novice comp has a better live stream than some of these federations fucking nationals Mm. and i'm just one dude with a macbook and a fancy camera like it's not that complex to run a really good live stream with the score sheet on there or things like like it's just not that hard Mm -hmm. and yet there are still all these people clearly pocketing tons of cash doing what like Yep, yep, just yep. like turning up, ticking a box and moving on. It just makes no sense to me. So the image you're referring to, uh, the money that was made from memberships and coaching courses alone this year in APU. Now, let me let me clarify this. This was provided by a source. Allegedly. <laughs> what, 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 that was within APU. This is allegedly. Um, I don't think this figure is too, too far off what would be considered accurate. Uh, just based on like the number of members and the coaching course and the cost of that, the $184,660. And so there is nothing wrong. Don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with a federation making money. It's a company. It's a business. It's a business. That's how it works. The question is what the fuck is happening with this money? Yeah. Because it's clearly not reinvesting. It's clearly not into running bigger and better comps because they're using venues that cost next to nothing that aren't the greatest venues, that aren't hiring fantastic live streaming equipment, buying amazing new equipment. There is money used for flying around referees. I understand that. Not that big a cost. There no. is money used for, I know that the Federation has assets that they put in clubs. You know, they own 
racks yeah. and, and racks plates and, and stuff like, like that. that. Yeah. That's not a positive thing. That literally hamstrings businesses. Because what yeah. they do is like, here's this. You you can only run our competitions. You have to use this stuff. But we're going to take all the money from the entries anyway. And so in this situation where the Federation crashes and burns, if they decide to take all that back, they live, leave all these businesses with next to no equipment or, or missing a whole bunch of equipment. What does that do to people? Like it should yeah. be a loan to own sort of scheme where it's like, give you the rack, run comps for us. And once you've paid off the rack through the competition entries, you can have the entry fees. That would be yeah. the way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or even like, uh, you know, the the federation is like not renting, but like a rent to buy sort of scheme where instead of it being about entry fees, it's like, yeah, we still keep getting the entry fees, but, you know, X amount of that entry fee has been taken off that and it's being reinvested in that rack for you or whatever. So then it's like, I'm not paying out of pocket or anything like that. It's it's just money that we get through this. But then, yeah, there's there's never any turning point. It's, it's just perpetually in the interest of the federation, which again is... Fair enough, you've got a business to run, but that's not how you build the sport in a way that ultimately means everyone makes more money. Like, mm. that's the other thing is that, mm-hmm. you know, gyms like yours and I, yours and mine are going to outlast a lot of these federations because we're not reliant on just one three-letter acronym, but instead we've built a community through goodwill and doing the right thing in a way that means like all my lifters will just go to wherever I want to go because they care more about being involved with what we do as a, as a gym and as a community than they do about the Federation. And I think like maybe, and I can't obviously speak to this from a personal experience level, but maybe part of that, uh, lack of, uh, lack of vision, I guess, has centered around the very small group of people that want the Federation to be competitive on a world stage. And it's like too focused externally instead of internally. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's there's always been a core group of people in Australia who want to compete at IPF Worlds and things like that. And yeah, great, more power to you. But if you're trying to build a Federation off that as a premise instead of trying to build a Federation off the premise of we want as many people involved in the sport of powerlifting and training in gyms as we can get, then you're you're looking up instead of looking down and building out, you know? Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, you fall off your fucking tiny radio tower. Yeah, and th- this would be my message and my hope to whoever it is that's taking over. I know some of the people involved with, with what's happening now in terms of developing the new federation and trying to get it connected with the IPF and ASC and all that sort of stuff. And there are some good people involved with big hearts for the lifters that understand the way the world turns in terms of business and making money for the gyms and looking after the people and having the lifter first. Uh, my, my, my big hope and uh, message for those people would be to run it in such a way where the meat directors are rewarded for the efforts that they put in because ultimately they are the foundation of the sport. Uh, Absolutely. Like that. And, and look at PA, look at a- APU, look at both of them crumbling. Sure, the lifter gets affected, they get displaced, but they're not punished from a financial way of life perspective. The gym owners the, who are running the meets, they get fucking pummeled. And they should be rewarded. They should be encouraged to grow and get better because as they grow and get better, like you just said, their meets are better, their meets are bigger, their gyms are better. It attracts more people, more people filter into powerlifting, the federation grows. It's it's an ecosystem, has to be. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Like we've had, 
what's it going to work out at? It'd be approaching 500 lifters across our platform this year. Mm. Like for one little gym in Canberra of all places, like, you know, we're not a big city by any means to be in a position where that's what the sport is in Canberra. Like, shit, no one really knows what it is, but that's because it's fucking powerlifting people. No one really knows what it is. The average person doesn't understand what we're doing, has no concept of it, and thus doesn't give a shit. But I think there's always been this group of people in powerlifting who are convinced that, like, we're some elite, fucking crazy, better-than-everyone sport that somehow is different and, and should be run differently or things like that. But yeah, none of this shit exists without the support of people like you and I who run gyms, who who continue to do this, who will outlast the three letters in front of the competitions. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm always so surprised as well um, because obviously if you if you have been an IPF meet director in Australia, you know, I'm not speaking for the whole world, and Australia is, is quite unique in that sense, New Zealand a little bit as well and some other countries. You, you're not you're, you're actually not allowed to run other federation meets or other ipf yeah. meets or you are there's loopholes to it but the loopholes are very hard to achieve yeah so like for me if i was the ipf meet director here on the gold coast i couldn't have anything to do i couldn't have my name attached i couldn't uh, officiate i couldn't spot and load i couldn't have anything to do with um running another federation's competition which is weird or even a novice comp like we had we've had yep. lifters who competed in pa or apu or whatever they can't volunteer at our competitions for fear mm-hmm. of being banned like not only are you really ostracizing that individual by saying you're only allowed to talk to our friends but also you're in like again in a stretch you're ruining the sport because in a gym like ours that's not that big you've taken this one person who like is prevented physically from being involved in these competitions in a way that actually they really want to be involved and to help and all that sort of stuff it just makes no fucking sense to me why you would continue to put people in a position where they have to say no to volunteering in a sport that's run by fucking volunteers yeah it's it's incredible how impressionable and how cultish this stuff has been. Oh, uh, you man. know, the, the amount of apologies that I've received in the last few months of people that are like, oh, I didn't know this. I, I was always told you're a bad person because you did this and this and this. I'm like, what? Show me the evidence for any of this. Uh, but but the, the only way you can keep people segregated by that is by feeding them lies and, and giving them some reason to hate the other group. Uh, but yeah anyway i was i was getting at it's crazy that the people who have been locked into these ip this ipf model where they're not allowed to do competition they don't even know that we make money from competition like they are shocked when they find out they can run a comp and get the entry fees they're like yeah but what do we have to give back to the fed nothing yeah but how does it work then how does the fed make any money well memberships like what is that enough money of course it is there's plenty of money it's just you're so used to getting fucked you're so used to getting ripped off uh and i mean the sad thing is it doesn't take much logical thought and some number crunching you know apu had over a thousand competitors this year paying x amount of dollars per membership let's just average per calendar year too not per 365 days from when you signed up it's calendar year because if your membership you signed up in december you gotta pay them mm, that's not my problem dude you starts again in january yeah yeah i mean what's a thousand times a hundred i don't know i'm not doing that that's hundred thousand <laughs> well, there you go <laughs> yeah hundred thousand bucks if that's not enough 
Uh, why am I doubting my maths right now? Hundred thousand bucks. Like, if that's not enough money to run a fucking federation, honestly, if that's not enough money yeah, to yeah. run a, fa- a fucking federation, like, get fucked. Yeah, I can it's... tell you right now, insurance for the federation for that amount of people is probably about twenty grand, maybe yeah. a little bit more or less, depending on if you're cutting corners or who you're going with, all that sort of stuff. Insurance is going to be a big thing. Uh, maybe you got some wages in there, but I mean, that's not the only money that the federation will make it'll mm. make money from other ways if you're if you're intelligent about it uh whether it's you know s- selling apparel the the federation i believe should have ownership of things like nationals you know they should they should bear the cost of running a nationals but they should also put it on a fucking amazing show yeah uh, and that should- that was a, again one of those things that like fascinated me is the idea that like you don't really get any support from the fed it's like you're just another meat director hosting like the flagship event for the federation you know like that's it's always been a bit weird that that that's how that model's worked for a long time Mm. um yeah it's man i'm I'm just i think we've just been so entrenched in the uh the bubble that is powerlifting for so long that uh we're naive to how naive you can be coming into something like this Right, like, yeah, I I often say in in early coaching sessions, onboarding new people, like, please, like, anytime something doesn't make sense to you, tell me because there's lots of things that I just assume are common knowledge because I've mm. been lifting weights and training and being athletic for 25 years. Sometimes that's not the case, and mm. that's the same with powerlifting. Like, sometimes people genuinely just Google powerlifting Australia, and that's what they fucking find. And like, I'm really sorry that that's what happens to you. <laughs> yeah. And I hope sometimes you see the light in a way that doesn't involve you being touched inappropriately, allegedly. Um, and you can be in a position where you get to experience what powerlifting's like on the other side of that. Because, man, like you say, I've had conversations with people who are running IPF-affiliated meets whose jaws hit the floor when I told them how much money I make out of a novice comp. Mm-hmm. They're like, what? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, most of the competitors that come to your competition came to one of mine first. Mm. Like, that's that's the other thing, right, is our conversion rate from novice comps to sanction comps is probably like 15 or 20%, right? Like... But that 15 or 20% is generally the 15 or 20% that stay around for five years, right? And again, that's how you build this sport. you got to filter a ton of people who do it once or twice and go, no, I never want to do that again by lowering the barriers to entry, by allowing people as much opportunity as you can to be mm-hmm. involved in a way that helps build the sport as a community, yeah. not just fucking be like, no, you can't go with them because they're all criminals. Yeah. Okay, and, uh, it turns out one of us was a criminal and it wasn't any of the people that were alleged to be criminals. <laughs> it was it was the alleger. Um, yeah. Who'd have thought? The people you most medium expect. Yeah. And it, I mean, more than that, it comes back to not only, you know, when you're talking about conversion, it's like, how do you get someone into the ecosystem of powerlifting? Well, you have to provide them with an outlet to train. You have to provide them with a good gym. And if you can't afford to upgrade your gym and you're stuck in a shed with three combo racks and some shitty plates. Yeah, but you it, got a Leco combo racks in your shed, man. It's fine. <laughs> then, it, Like, of, of, of course, people are going to filter to other gyms with more equipment. Yeah. Like, it has to be an ecosystem. It has to facilitate the growth. Uh, anyway, we're, we're just going to start going around in circles now. I think we've said enough. I agree powerlifting kids it can be lots of fun and we can all do it in a way that doesn't involve calling other people criminals and stealing money from them in a way that's just downright wrong 
Yeah. And we're at a we're at another turning point in powerlifting in Australia. And the last turning point, although it's ended up sour, was actually a huge step in a positive direction, especially for growth outside of that particular federation. And I believe this is another opportunity for a huge step of growth. And hopefully that means a good collaboration between all federations to some degree where there isn't this like segregation to the point where people are just getting screwed over along the way. Absolutely. We're all just lifting weights, people. Let's all try and get along. Love you all. Bye. Bye.